It's All Relative with Susan Bradley, an original podcast series from News Talk. Welcome to It's All Relative. Today, my guest is a guy and a person I've known for many years. He's a friend of my brother's. He also is a dad, a husband, a brother, and a son. Today, I'm talking to Connor Buckley, son of Christine Buckley, the late campaigner and activist, a magnificent woman who highlighted the enormous injustice of Golden Bridge and who served as a director of the Ashing Support and Education Group for Survivors of Industrial Schools of Ireland. Christine was the daughter of a Nigerian medical student and a married Irish woman from Dublin. She was abandoned at three weeks of age and was raised in Golden Bridge Industrial School until the age of 18. She went through primary and, unlike many industrial school children, thrived in education and eventually qualified as a nurse. She was interviewed on The Gay Burn Show in November 1992 as she was looking for her parents. During the interview, she was asked about her childhood and she described her experiences of St. Vincent's Industrial School in Golden Bridge. Physical, emotional and some sexual abuse and neglect were rampant features of life in Golden Bridge in the 50s and 60s. The sheer lack of finance meant that some former residents became staff who were unable to mind, nurture, teach and support the young vulnerable residents. Corporal punishment was used for small mistakes, bedwetting for example. No punish book seemed to be kept contrary to regulations and was not noted by the department expector. Christine called on Fianna Fáil Minister Noel Dempsey to resign in 2003 after he proposed that the Commission investigate only sample allegations of abuse instead of the 1,800 complaints. After the Commission report was published, she spoke of being filled with anger, though she should have been filled with hope. In June 2009, she took part in a a wreath-laying ceremony and a march of solidarity with victims of abuse in the schools and up to 10,000 people took part in the march. She died on the 11th of March 2014 after a long battle with cancer. Today, I'm going to talk to her son, Connor, about his life, being her son and all his hopes and aspirations for the future. Connor, welcome to It's All Relative. Thank you for having me, Sue. It's great to have you here. I know you from my crystal days. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, But you're you're here because I would love to hear your story about your family, your mum and dad, your siblings, and now your own family. So I suppose we'll start... Back when you were born, tell us a little bit about what it was growing, what it was like growing up in the Buckley household. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, it was great fun always. To be honest, um, my best friend is my is is my brother Dara. So we were always pretty inseparable. We we're very alike in lots of ways. Uh, same sense of humor, and and we had great times together. And, and I and I looking back at the t- times growing up, Sue, we're really lucky to have each other. Yeah, because. Um, we were obviously did it look different in the playground, you know, and uh, you know you might get a bit of stick, but he was very always protective of me, which was amazing. He was always uh, he was always really like proud, and he really like spurred me on. I don't remember like obviously you have a couple of scraps when you're younger, but mm. nothing nothing much to be honest with you. So there's three kids. So your sister is the oldest. Yeah. So that's Kleena. Yeah. And then Dara, and then Connor. Yeah, and okay. he, and Dara, and Kleena as well. Like Kleena is one of the kindest people you could ever meet. Like she's so caring and. 
and she'd still be if anything was was wrong with me or anything happened she'd still be the first person nearly to to help in some ways you know she's got a great uh, she's got a huge heart she's just in general she's just very kind to people yeah um and um so she was the eldest and she came along and I, I, I suppose from my folks' point of view, like my mum never had a mum and dad. Right. So I'd say Kleena was like, I'm like we're all spoiled in lots of ways, but I'm sure Kleena was just idolised when she first came along. And there's a great picture of her in the house. And um, and mum and her were quite close. Uh, we're, both, we're very close. Yeah. Mum, Kleena and dad are quite alike in lots of ways. They're both very intelligent intellectuals in a way. Um, and... I guess in some ways, Dara and I look a bit more like my mum because we had the the afro sure. and the curly hair, and we we're pretty dark and clean as well. And um, we had her probably more her like a really outgoing personality, where it was always like fun, you know. <laughs> so no matter that was the great thing about mum, even the difficulties she had in, in life, she always brought a positive element to it. Yeah, and, uh, and she also had obviously three very different kids as well. Do you think co- where you come in the family plays a part in? I don't know how your personality is formed or do you think yeah. you just who are who you are when you grow up? I actually think about that a good bit, Sue. Yeah. I really do. There's no doubt about it without my my sister and my brother saying it. I think they felt that I was a little bit more spoiled because I was the baby, you know, and I probably was in ways. And I don't know if I was like that in your house. but Totally. Brian, yeah. come on. <laughs> We'd girl, girl and then boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could, yeah, so... <laughs> Baby Connor. Yeah, there was definitely. I, I look. I, I think we were all spoiled in different ways, but I think um, um, not so much as by my dad, but maybe my mum a little bit more because I think because she um, because I was the baby, you know, and I think she she loved sport as well, um, and I think you know I was a sport obsessed as well. So uh, and. And probably that's why more than anything, the mm. sport, I think, really, because the sport really brought her to meet new people and brought right. her to new communities. I think she loved, she really did love all that, you know, um, and she met, lo- she made loads of friends from that. So that, and that was new for her as well. So she didn't have that, I like that, she'd never seen that element of, of sure. life in a way, you know, so that was great for her. Um, and it's great for my dad as well. My dad made loads of friends from it as well. Um, and he was... I mean, I was talking to my dad, and he like he loved all the. the he came to every single sports game, like, right. and he was no sport in his family, you know. No one played sports, and he came to. I like I don't. He came to every single soccer match. Doesn't he drove all over the country? Really? Yeah. Yeah, and um, he drove all over the country, and same for the rugby. Like I'll never forget, we were, I was playing for Trinity at one stage, and he was like, I remember I scored a try and we won. There was in the last minute or something. I looked at him, he was so proud, but he never come up and say. And he's very quiet man. He's a very humble man, mm. but you could see how proud he was, you know. So. Um, he was, uh, he was, he was very, very, like he'd be very quiet about that side of things. He'd just say well done, but he'd say well done if you didn't play well as well. Really? <laughs> yeah. Where did your folks meet? So uh, the disco's called Chivago. Is that him? Tr- Trivago? Don't look at me. Yeah. What, I'm only two, three years old than you. Yeah. I might, you know. Thanks I was, a lot. I was thinking, has anyone ever heard of Chivago, I think it was. So my dad when like, came like to my mum. Like the movie, Dr. Chivago. Yeah, whatever. something right. exactly. I, so my dad approached my mum. This is hilarious. He's never spoken about this. So I could be pronouncing the name wrong, but I bet you I'm, yeah, I'm, I think I'm pronouncing it right. My dad approached my mum and my mum said, no chance. <laughs> and and I said, why did you say that, mum? Because his hair was, uh, it was hair wasn't clean enough and didn't like his shirt. And then he approached her again. He said, no chance. And looking <laughs> back and it, he was quite brave in the 70s because like, you know, a lot of white men wouldn't have 
tried to, a university educated men wouldn't have tried to approach a black woman. So in some ways, um, and he came from, you know, he came, he's, he's a Cork man and, you know, his family would be, would have been conservative enough, you know, and I thought like in some ways he was really brave to do that. Mm. And he told me he got a bit of stick before about it. And, um, and she said no chance. And it was very funny in the end when, when she was, uh, well, when she was passing away in her, in her bed, she was coming in and out of consciousness. Now she was awake actually in fairness and she was with it, but she was asleep. And one day I plastered her wall with all photos. Like, so she, when she woke up, there was photos of like, like everything from her life, from her childhood. She don't need one or two photos from her childhood, to be honest, but did photos of like all the family photos and all the photos. Of, and she won a couple of awards and everything was plastered off, but it was a great photo of her and dad uh, at their wedding day. And, um, she looked up at it and she took the oxygen mask off and dad was there she goes she's like no no good looking I was you wouldn't have had a chance <laughs> <laughs> so even it. even like a week before she passed away she was still cracking jokes you know she goes look at me there Jeez, if I'd only known how good looking I was. You were batting above your ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. So she she had great crack with him like that. And, I, and even when we all moved out and you'd call back into the house, um, I was like, I'd come in and it was like a TV show. Like the two of them were having like, honestly, forget the Kardashians. If you had a camera on them two having dinner. Really? Because he, he, she was so much cracking her, you know. So she'd always be teasing him about things and stuff like that. And, um, and they were a great pair because I said he was very, you know, as I said, he's very methodical and intelligent about things and um, very careful. And she was like, and he's good fun as well, to be fair, Pops, but he's, he's more, he's always more serious, you know, and he's more, he's always very protective of, of family. And that was another thing that really struck me in the last couple of years. He is so protective of family and I don't know how she was able to get around him exposing everything she did in 1992 and Gay Byrne, even getting on the Gay Byrne show. And, and telling her story because he would have been very careful about that like he wouldn't have wanted that only because he would have been protective of us sure That's and not, her and uh, she, and yeah she, and there was lots of things that happened after that warranted him being protective yeah I, I, you know I suppose with your mum being her own person and wanting and being very very driven I'd say he, Donald didn't have a choice <laughs> yeah, I know do yeah, you know yeah fair play I to know. Christine like you know it's alright so let's let's keep going on, on on the childhood side of things so you grew up in Ghost Town yeah right loads of sport yeah great great area nice area and there was loads of like there was loads of local guys who were great fun and and every, we went to we went to a local national school and it was it was great times you know it was um, it was well like I mean I was chatting to Brian recently about it and he, he was talking about how you'd go out at like nine a.m. and you mightn't come back to like ten o'clock you know, I know. and they're and your you BMX <laughs> yeah and you couldn't do it now or you wouldn't let your kids do it now you know yeah oh yeah but like parents wouldn't bat an eyelid yeah like oh yeah they're grand yeah I know you mentioned just briefly that yourself and Derry you kind of slightly noticed you were you, you looked a bit different was that, was that a prominent thing in your childhood or did it just sporadically kind of come and go I think I remember. I remember there was a. I remember someone in school, you know, was was uh, was slagging me and it was going brown and black and this kind of thing. And my mum called up to the parents and said, "Look, you know, you, your son shouldn't say that. I'm not. It's not your son's fault. He's obviously heard sure. that." And there was a couple of their names that she would have felt like, you know, you got to educate people and say it to say it to their parents. But in general, I guess in some ways we were probably. Like we wanted probably dad to collect us because he looked like everyone else more sure. than mum, you know. But that was, um, and mum also would come in. She wouldn't be quiet about coming in, you know. But I think it taught us a great lesson, Sue, as well, because she really owned her identity and her blackness and she was really proud of it. I remember Dara being really upset going, why do we have to look different? Why can't we be like anyone else after someone said something to him? And she said, isn't it amazing that you're different? If the world, if everyone was the same, the world would be a boring place. And I think that is brilliant because mm. she 
she could have said, well, Darren, fairness, you're very like your dad and you're a little bit paler and look at your, you've only got a few curls. She could have watered it down in some ways, but she goes, it's great. Embrace you it. Embrace it. And I think that mentality, because I know of a couple of black friends who were, who were sat down and told, by the way, you're always going to be held back and you're always going to be, and just so you know, and it's just, and not that they developed chips in their shoulder, but they were super conscious about it. Where she nearly used it as like a superpower in a way, which I think was a great kind of role model for us, you know. Amazing. Um, and I've done a bit of research on that. And a lot of parents sit down to their children and say, just so now you know, because you're different or because you're black, this is going to happen. But I actually think you shouldn't do that, you know. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and and clearly that has followed you through in yeah, your life yeah. with all projects, life, yeah. moments that have, have you've experienced. It's definitely, yeah. And Clean and Dara would be the same too. Yeah, so I don't, because I don't think Clean would have felt it as much as Dara and I. Right. Maybe because it's maybe a guy's thing, but we also looked at more like our mum, you know. Yeah. Um, so we probably, like we probably identify with more being... Um, like African descent in a way or mixed heritage, you know, where sure. where Kleena, I, 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 she wouldn't have got the names. Okay. She wouldn't have actually heard the N-word. Where, well, I would have heard that regularly in a would football you? pitch. Yeah. Really? Like I remember there was one time um, and I, t- you know the way, I don't know about your, your folks, Sue, but um, is, does Geraldine have a, Geraldine's your mum's yeah. name, right? Geraldine and Frank, do they, because your mum better at remembering things than your dad. Does, oh God, yeah. Yeah, so totally. most mums are. Totally. Yeah, and, and if they don't, they pretend like they know, <laughs> <laughs> they remember. So what, well, I would ask my dad things about childhood and he'd go, I don't remember. He's, so, my, he's the most honest man in the world. Don't remember, don't remember. I said, do you remember we were playing? I won't name the football team. And he said, uh, I said, do you remember this guy kept calling me the N-word? And he was like, um, he's like, yeah, I do. I do. I couldn't believe you remembered it because we were under 12. And I was thinking, was it as bad? And I remember just streaming tears during the game. And I think now a referee would stop that, you know. Absolutely. But, um, and nobody did. No one did. The coaches didn't around him. And he's actually much bigger than me. And I remember thinking, like, he, like he, it was properly to put you off your game or whatever. Um, but in some ways, in some ways that kind of, like, not that I, I wouldn't want anyone to go through that, but it toughens you up in some ways as well, you know. Yeah. Um, but my mum, if she would, I probably wouldn't have told my mum about certain things like that because she would be very much, like, she would take it she would make sure that that was dealt with and I think sure. that's a great 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 attribute as well you I know? think that story you just said of uh, going up to the parents of that child mm. and educating them because it ultimately does come from the, the parents yeah absolutely um, yeah. so Blackrock you, you left Oatlands went to Blackrock Great crack there. Yeah. Great experience. Yeah, great memories. Lots I have to say. Yeah, I have to. I lo- when I went in there, I was surprised how nice everyone was. I mean, there's a real. Really? Yeah. I thought everyone was just so super nice. Yeah. And I remember thinking, um, uh, everyone was just, yeah, I loved it there. And I have to say, I went back to my reunion there and, like, I was, I had a really sound group of lads in the year. Um, everyone was really lovely. I, I mean, I, some one of the priests there, like, uh, Father Brillicon, who was a bit of a legend in the school, I bumped into him two months ago no sorry God I bumped into him probably about four or five months ago and I thought like he's not going to remember me I heard he hadn't been well for a while and he's like Bucko Bucko how are you no way and he always called me Bucko it was really like and even on the pitch I'd hear him shout Bucko <laughs> and I could hear his voice and uh, and he was so sound and all the all the priests were so sound so we had great memories there you know and like uh, I think that I think that school I, I wonder like I don't go around thinking that. Um, I, first of all, I was very, very grateful to go to that school, and my parents would have made massive sacrifices to put us into that school, mm. like really massive sacrifices. Um, but I was never, I never felt like I was like a. I know this sounds mad, but that kind of black rock, black rock boy. Sure. Because when I went up to, I went, I played football for a team up in Sally Noggin, Sue, and when I went up there, thinking that I might have been 
cool to be from Black Rock. It wasn't cool at all. And oh, uh, you're poshy. Yeah. And you know what? I, I got lots of stick. And you know what? It really grounded me. And they were great lads and we had great times up there. Um, and the football club's amazing. Joseph's, uh, Joey's and Sally Nogam. But I remember walking in thinking that I'd probably, because I was good at, I'm sorry, I was average. I'm oh, sorry. On this team, I was really below the standard, <laughs> to be honest, as well, which didn't help. Because when you're a good footballer, they respect you a bit more. Um, but, uh, and I remember walking in thinking that, ah, like, you know, I'll be ground with these lads and like they absolutely ripped it out of me. But they're like, do you know what? It, it took the airs and graces off you, you know what I mean? I, um, I had the same. I went to school, um, not, I'm from Clontarf, very normal childhood and I used to be called like the poshy um, where I went to school and then I went to UCD and I was the Northside Knacker. Yeah. So you just can't win. Yeah, Brian was saying the same when he do went. you know? In. Yeah, and I always it, think, it, Listen, it's... But but you know what? I never it, got that, by the way. I remember you'd hear that a lot in, this, in Black Northside Knacker. I just, I just, I find that stuff... But you know what? It just, it does give you a grounding. Like, I, I loved my school mm. and I, we had people from all walks of life from those who couldn't afford the uniform to people who were from wow. very affluent. So uh, did, it gave me do, a did real... Did they do scholarships? No, it was a it was a it wasn't a private okay. school, but it, it gave me a real appreciation for everybody is equal and everyone has the same opportunity in this school, you know, yeah. in this school. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thankfully I'm not in that bubble yeah. where I only live in a particular area and yeah. you know hang out with people there. So I, I know what you mean. Having played football in Sally Nog and going to Black Rock, you get that yeah, real But I think it's great. I mix. really do. Yeah. And I also think playing football, when you go out to different areas around Dublin, you see that life doesn't revolve around DN11 and Fox Rock and Black <laughs> Rock and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. You get to see, like, you know, I remember you turn, the cars on fire and you play in a match beside it or, the, you know, the, the change rooms you've broken into and, like, you, this is in different pit places around Dublin and I think that's, it's good. It's good that you don't just see life revolves around, you know, Southside Dublin. Big time. Did you get to know Brian in Black Rock? Were you were a few do, years you, I was a few years below Brian but I actually, this is, I, I have never said this to, to Brian but, but I always like to think about what people were like when you first met them, when you didn't know anything about them really and how they were, especially the older guys. And I always remember Brian being really smiley and saying hello in the corridor. Really? And I, yeah, and I've actually never said this to Brian, but I think it's such a lovely, so, and obviously people change over years in, in, in ways who maybe people weren't that nice, but he was always so sound. I remember always like, and he, like I remember always him just being really happy smiley and then I remember meeting him in the gym one time and he was chatting away and I always thought the guys liked that and Kieran Scally as mm. well especially because Kieran was on a, a huge pedestal in sure. there and and he was always really sound as well and I thought it was a good, really good reflection on those guys you know because I think it's you'd get some of the older guys being like you know ourselves to the yeah. younger guys but yeah, they're yeah. always really Maybe. sound yeah nice. and I know and it always because it was, everyone was nice to me when I had the wristbands and crystal all the older oh, black rock guys you know they were always nice but it was when you were a little kid in school what were people like and that's what I always take my, my thoughts from so so we, we'll jump on to, to the kind of the, the mad party <laughs> days oh my god like you could write a book, couldn't you? Every week someone said that to me, Sue. I met someone during well, the you week. You and O'Malley and have to. <laughs> I, don't I suppose know. then you'd have to name people. Yeah, no. We, well, do you That's know what? We, yeah, we, we had great times. And How long uh, were you there? Like, how it, long were you running eight, Crystal? Eight, it was six years fully with Crystal, maybe six and a half. And then eight years in total with that, that whole air, venue. But I was actually with Press Up for longer, but I'm okay. still more associated with Crystal in a way. So every, because I think maybe, I think people had genuinely amazing times there as well. And I think we all grew up together. Yeah. You know? And even the way 
like a lot of things were happening around that time in the country and in the sport, the rugby team and everything. So it was, there were amazing times. I mean, when you look back on it, it was, um, it, I couldn't do it ever again because it was, you know, <laughs> we never, t- we never took weekends off as part of the contract, you know, so you had to be there. The Till like time. six in the morning. Six in the morning. You couldn't do it with a family. Um, no way. But I look at the, the friendship me and O'Malley had for 10 years and the business relationship and to be so fortunate to have and to still have that friendship because you feel, you hear a lot of people falling out with different mm. people about lots of different things. So I'm really fortunate that any of the kind of business partners I've had, you know, have been, it's, it's, it's gone great. You know, I've been lucky like that. Sure. And, and Brian was like, we're, we're quite different in lots of ways, but we're, we're really, we still have that real closeness as well. Sure. And um, if you think of it like we're, in this is Brian O'Malley. This by is the Brian way. O'Malley. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Brian O'Malley. Yeah. So Brian O'Malley and I would have known each other since we were what thirteen or fourteen, and we would have played against each other. Uh, he was in Belvo, and uh, he was just—he's a really streetwise guy. You know, he's a—he's a pretty like anyone who meets Brian <laughs> personally. Well, I, I'd say your bullshit radar is very finely tuned now. Well, yeah, it probably is because I'm quite naive. I'm not naive. I'm quite happy to look and see the best in people. My wife was like, "You see the best in everyone, Connor," you which just, is a lovely way to yeah. be. Yeah, she's to a point. Yeah, me. exactly. Yeah, she's like she really and she sees the best in people. So for her to say that to me, yeah, and she's really like um, I so but back then I really was like super seeing the best in people. And Brian is quite streetwise, Brian O'Malley. Mm. You know, his Bill Busher radar from the age of fifteen was like he takes no bullshit. Like, yeah, he, I'd say you saw like you mentioned it there, like people trying to be your bezies, trying to you know skip queues and all that kind of stuff. Do you look back on those days and kind of think, are there are there select number of absolute bleeps <laughs> that you go, oh my God. We, or did some certain people surprise you? Like, do, oh, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, there was, a, there was a champagne crew back then. Seemingly champagne is the only thing that hasn't uh, dropped off the face of the charts after Celtic Tiger so it just really? dropped off yeah sales dropped off a cliff um, and there was those people that would come in and go Bucko O'Malley get four balls of Dom on the table and they'd be like and they, like mad characters would come in like and we were like we, we were like who are like because we hadn't who come across you? these people and, doesn't matter you're paying yeah and some, like I remember this guy was like six foot five and he used to just stand over me and go I want this I want that but I, what I didn't factor in Sue was until afterwards and you'd meet some people on the street and they're, like, they're really nice people and maybe your perception wasn't great that looking back and I talked to people about particular people and they'd be, oh, they're off their face in coke yeah. or it was this thing and that, and we were quite naive because that actually kind of missed us because we were working every weekend we didn't do the pre-drinking or anything like that so we didn't we kind of missed that so I even knew guys that were really good friends of me that would have got thrown out of Crystal for doing coke and I would have fought for them going to the doorman like going there's no way yeah. and I would have found out after that they actually were you know yeah. so um a lot of that stuff missed us in a way, you know, and also, and I, so a lot of people that came up there were that were maybe a bit obnoxious. Were we're on that? We're not using drugs, you know. Now that was a small group of people, and in general, like we were drinking with people that we really liked, and we in some ways we did the best job in the world because we're having great crack. And one of the things was the owner was like, you know, you need to have a Rangan, few drinks. Isn't it? Yeah, Rangan. He was like, you need to have a few drinks. Like he was like you, and and I remember not drinking for eight months, and it was more exhausting not drinking than drinking. Like I'd wake up more tired. So, um, but overall, basically, you're meeting people when you love people. And my mum loved people. Like she absolutely adored people. When you actually really like meeting people and and. It's actually like the best job in the yeah. world, and it really was for a couple of years. And only when Brian left, and he left because he wanted to do his own, he wanted to get out of nightclubs. Yeah. You know, him and Ina were going to be getting married, and he yeah. just wanted to leave. And so when he left, the fun element went dropped. Yeah, really. So I, yeah, and I say that to him, and I said I was sitting on the front door, 
and it didn't it was just a fun it was just like it was a thing that you know you're working with one of your best pals and uh, how long did you stay when Brian O'Malley left I'd say Penny McKillen approached me around the time he left and I was I, crazy loyal to, to Crystal and then a couple of things annoyed me and I knew there was going to be no progression and Brian was like Brian O'Malley was like you need to get out of there you know and and then Paddy and I progressed and, and the conversation mm-hmm. was really exciting with Paddy you know and you can see what some of the stuff he's done and we sat on the roof of Sophie's restaurant before yeah. Sophie's restaurant and he was telling me about the plans for it was actually going to be a swimming pool on the top of Sophie's and a nightclub and he was like, like we'll do a club at the basement first and then we'll do the swimming pool at the top and uh and I just went, look, that'd be a great change, you know. And at the time, another the tripod um, asked me to go with them as well. And uh, so I was kind of thinking about both. And Paddy's a really straight up guy, really honest lad. And um, I just, I guess, thankfully, my gut said to go with Paddy because tri- the tripod sure. venue actually never took off. It actually never got off. To- and press so, up has gone yeah. sky out. Can it, I, before we go, we go on, because I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about mm. your lovely mum. Just in in the crystal days, I remember occasionally you being called Blackie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it okay to ask you about that? Yeah. Like Connor, like that's shocking when when you think. How did you? First of all, how did you f- feel when somebody called you that? And second of all, do you kind of look back and think, oh my God, how how did that yeah, actually I, happen? I, yeah, it's a good question. I haven't really thought about it a huge amount. I think, and this is. This is it's an interesting concept because sometimes because I was so pretty happy or lucky, I laughed along at that too. So like in some ways, I'm encouraging it as much as anyone, which is something I'm maybe not proud of in in, in ways, you know. And in other ways, um, okay, I'm thinking of one person who would have said it to me, and this is mad because the intention of that person probably wasn't was a bit dem, dem, demeaning, demeaning yeah. yeah. But other people, I would have like. I genuinely wouldn't have minded because I actually well like what sometimes I mean there was one there was one nickname that was close to that and I'll, I'll tell you that off air but I would have seen it as like a, as a sporting achievement in a way you know so I didn't okay. didn't didn't bother me you know I felt like it was like kind of kudos you know so um so you know what I didn't mind that as much I just think obviously when the end where it got mentioned that was like you know stop Jeez. it and and what 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 would have happened I think what I realized was something might start like that and it might end up with the n-word and that's obviously from a very small group of people and then you go god i really should have stopped that earlier that's when you think about that you did know? you stop it if the yeah, n-word yeah came i up. did and I, I would have pulled up i would have pulled up people in in awkward situations you know um in all sorts of situations to be honest with you you know in every mm. situation um and i remember like monkey being said and things like that which is just mental but that would have really like genuinely broken my heart and it was and I, you know, if I had to pull over people to say that, and and uh, no one enjoys that conversation, no. but it, you know, and it has to be said. Um, and only like around the corner here, and myself and Brian O'Malley were there like two or three years ago, and we were watching one of the rugby matches, and uh, I went into the bathroom and washed my hands, chatting away to the guy about the match, and he goes, "See you later, N-word. And I actually just like pulled him up against the wall. I was like, "Do you know what that means? Do you know what you just said there?" Because I always try and ask people, maybe like I'm cause like you're in a your mum, like kind of y- yeah. Uh, yeah. And he was he was like, well, oh sorry, I know I'm not racist, I'm not racist, I don't know, I'm sorry. He had a few drinks on him, and I I was I said to him, look, you just can't say that, like you just can't say that. And it was really calm because I really really pride myself of being calm in those situations. And he was like, oh no, man, I didn't I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. But genuinely, I'd love to know 
because he, he was enjoying the chat, like it was all good. He just had that in his head and he had a few drinks on him. This is three o'clock in the day. So he went over to his friends and I went back to my friends and I sat down with them. I told the guys about it and they said, you sound like you handle it really well. I wouldn't worry. I go, no, I think we've got to go over to his friends. And they, they seem like a really nice group of people, If to be honest with you. They seem like a lovely group of people just watching across the bar. I said, I need to approach him because he won't remember tomorrow with a few drinks on him now. If he's like that now, what'll it be like in a yeah. couple of hours? I need to just tell the friends what he said there and that they shouldn't accept that. So um, that was a situation which I think you've got an opportunity there because I genuinely believe they were a decent group of people to actually go over and go, look, that wasn't right. But actually what happens, needs to happen, Sue, is that your actual, f- your friends need to do it or people, your associates need to do it or in a work situation, your work colleagues need to do it because if the victim does it, one, it's really fatiguing and two, there's a bit of like, uh, what are you talking about there? So that's where allyship sure. comes in, you know? Yeah. And I think allyship is the ability to say, say Sue, you're at work and someone says something to you and, and one of the guys goes, Mark, that was sexist. What are you talking about? That's what it needs to happen, you know? Absolutely. Because otherwise, Sue, you could be, they could be like, oh, relax, Sue, you're, what's yeah, wrong with you? You're overthinking yeah, it yeah, or exactly. overreacting. Yeah. I didn't mean it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Only, I've only seen change happen because I was in a WhatsApp group there and there was a couple of comments made and it's really interesting. Two guys in the group stood up in the group going, this isn't right. And they stood up because they're close to me, to be fair. And um, it changed the dynamic of the group. You know, like the group, obviously, I was new to the group and... Um, so there was a racist remark, Yeah, there was it? a racist okay. remark said, yeah, racist and homophobic. And uh, and I looked at it and I said it to my, I was with my brother, I go, can you believe this? Because these lads are, you know, they're over, they're in their 30s, like, and um, and I didn't say anything. And two guys contacted the coach and the coach said, we do not stand for these remarks. And he actually took your man out of the group and he put him back in again. Your guy called me and said, I'm really sorry. So I think that's what needs to happen. Yeah. The two lads to go, no problem for me. I didn't even bother getting onto the coach. And they just, they got onto the coach and said, yeah. I'm not standing for that. And I think that's what, it's real strength. And it can be really difficult because you could be around your granny or your, 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 um, like I know a very, very close friend of mine said something homophobic. And, and probably for years, I wouldn't have minded it. And I said, you can't say that. I won't say his name. And he was like, oh, relax, will you? And I was like, oh no, you just can't say that, man. You just, you gotta be, you just can't say that. Like, and if you can, you know, if you, absolutely. And, he, and it made him think twice going, okay, I can't say that. Where th- he was giving out about someone else pulling him up on it. You know, he was giving out about a girl pulling him up on it. And I said, she was right to pull you up on it. You can't say that, you know? Mm. And it changed his, his, his perception of maybe how these conversations are meant to go, you know? So that's what I think really needs to happen, you it, know? It's having the courage to get people to rethink exactly what yeah. they're saying. And that's a great thing, even just in our chat, to, for me to kind of take home in situations, have the courage, have the balls yeah. to, you know, to stand up to people and have those awkward conversations. Yeah. People just hate confrontation. Yeah. There's, the worst thing is to look back and go, oh, let's let's talk about your, your gorgeous mum <laughs> because, you know, she's the reason really we're here today. So, you know, before our chat, we were, I did some research. She, she's such a phenomenal Thank woman <laughs> and passed away in 2014. Mm. I, I When I was reading up, she, she had obviously started her search for her own parents when you were a teeny tiny yeah. like toddler, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. When, were you, when, did it become, when did you become aware of Golden Bridge? Like, how old were you when yeah, things started question. to... I remember her her coming into our, to our bedroom and she'd scars in her legs and... We're like, what happened to your leg? And she said, uh, someone poured boiling water over my leg. And again, like, it's very hard to picture as a kid, when you picture your own children, someone pouring boiling water over a child. Um, And she 
sorry, she's she would have felt that um she would have always stressed that this particular person, this particular nun, nun on uh, the landing. Yeah, on the landing was like, you know, was evil. And like obviously subsequently what's come about this particular nun has been like just even some of the stuff that hasn't been published and it's, you know, it's just disgusting. It's disgraceful. But she always said there's very nice nuns as well. She'd always make sure to go, there's really nice people as well. There's really nice nuns there. This particular nun, just what she what she did. So she actually never hid away from that. And, uh, you know, she never hid away from, from us that she didn't ha- know her parents. Mm. And I remember meeting her real dad um, and it was he brought over Nigerian clothing and we got into Nigerian clothing. I should have sent you the photo actually. You, uh, maybe I, I, I did see it. Oh, oh, you oh did. actually not of you, of of your mum. Oh and yeah, him. that's a like, great photo. Yeah, really yeah. colourful. Clothing. Yeah, really colourful. And, and she was so proud of him because all her life she'd been saying, you know, your your uh, your mum was a prostitute and your dad was a good for nothing and your dad was blah 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 so she'd heard all this all her life you you're you know you're black bitch you're useless and all this kind of stuff and she'd so she'd hammered that into her from such an early age which makes it even more impressive that she went on to finish school which was an achievement for for people in the orphanage most people left after 12 or 13 and become a nurse then. and become a nurse and study and like and then she ended up going back to UCD and and getting a degree and and she she ended up she ended up getting a doctorate from Trinity, and she found out that her dad actually had studied medicine in Trinity. Mm. So I think that made her feel immensely proud, you know. And um, and 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 she met her real mum. Unfortunately, she didn't have the same relationship with her real mum, which can happen. But she never understood. And you know, I've you've you've had three babies, Sue, and having three babies, she said, I can't don't know how you can carry a baby and give them away. And I think she could just never forgive her for that, you know, which sure. was something that, you know, unless I guess you've been in the situation, you, you you know, it's hard to understand. In the Dear Daughter documentary, Connor, what were those two people who were visiting her in the early days? Oh yeah. Her good parents. Question. The the red haired No, it wasn't actually it was my granddad's landlord, would you believe? Yeah. She he tried to take her back to Nigeria. That's why she had a bit more time for him because she he she he actually tried to take her out, but her real mum wouldn't sign the papers. No way. Yeah. Um. So he wanted to bring her home, which would bring it back to his home. And he went home. Eventually. He went home eventually. Yeah. And uh, and that's when his first his first letter was dear daughter to her, but she went to visit him to find them for the first time in Nigeria. She went over in the eighties to, yeah. to to find him. Sorry, and then he came back to Ireland to meet us. Um. And. She went to this airport in Nigeria and like full, she didn't know what he looked like, you know, there was no Facebook back then. And all of a sudden you've got an airport full of black people. She kind of thought she'd land and be the only one black guy and she'd know who it was. And she's like, oh my God, how am I going to find yeah. this guy? And then she said that he was, uh, she actually said this on that, like a, a Pat Kenny show, but she saw this guy walking through and she goes, oh, he's got a bum like Connor and he walks like Connor. And she stopped him and she was like, I'm Christine, are you my dad? And she, yeah, so she... she and, and it was. Yeah, it was him, yeah. And they had a good relationship in lots of ways. Now she tried to, she tried to, I think, meet up with him more and he wasn't really as approachable, you know. Um, but I think it was great that she got to meet him. And I'm always fascinated with people who, um, like I met, I met a guy this morning actually and he has never met his his, uh, his real dad. He found out at the age of 28 that his real, his dad wasn't his dad. And, mm. and I was like, you're not fascinated to find out your, your real dad, you know, and I guess everyone deals with it differently but that was her mission. And they didn't yeah. make it easy on her but she really wanted to find out who her parents were. And as you were growing up, as, as, as Christine was kind of having these milestones in her own research, were they massively celebrated? Yeah, Did you great rem- question. Yeah, do you yeah. remember those highs yeah. and lows? I actually, do, I remember uh, 
dear I remember dear daughter coming out and I remember like there was a lot of like publicity at the time and there was a lot of people outside the house and I remember we had to get a second phone but it was never seen as a high you know it was never seen as maybe a stress you know I don't think I remember her, her abuser was on the front page of a couple of papers um, and I don't think that was seen as a high but I definitely know there was a real high when uh, when she met her when she met her dad and her moments in a sense of finding them and I remember Bertie Hearn's public apology to the nation in 1999. I remember that being a real high. Like okay. I remember her coming home, like slight jumping for joy. Um, so I'd say that was, um, I'd say that was probably one of her best moments in her life. Um, I think the Ryan report in 2011, when everyone got, I guess, vindicated, it had been like a 25 year process. Like I guess for her. Um, I think that was a real high. I think the March of Solidarity, um, I think that wouldn't have been a high, but I think it would have been a great achievement. But in terms of awards, she never got excited about awards, which was interesting. She really didn't. Really? Like, yeah, and I look back on it and um, she like she won European Volunteer of the Year and, and she never really, I think it was, it was about, um, sorry, no. about justice for survivors, really. So that was... The most important thing. Yeah, that's what she talked about the entire time. Did you see your dad, Donal, like just being the most phenomenal support to her? Yeah, inc- yeah, incredible. Because um, sometimes you don't have to, you just have to be a great listener. Sorry, to him. Um, Here you go. Thank you. Um, sometimes you just need to be a great listener to be supportive. And I think he was a great listener. Um, he still is to, to, to us. And... Um, He's just extremely reliable, you know. He's just he's very he's very caring, and uh, and obviously when she was dealing with the press, he's got a, a huge amount of experience in in PR, and um, he's a great writer, and and I think he would have helped her out with that, you know. And I remember them being up like late night working on things, you know, because um, I think in order to get in order to achieve what she achieved, you needed that. He needed that, like, nearly like strategic approach to sure. things, you know. And I think they would have, they would have got on great like that. Obviously, there was lots of, like, there was lots of struggles on it as well. Um, uh, and those achievements, like I sometimes say to Dad, like, you should, we should probably do something on them or you know map them out because they're great achievements. And you can kind of forget about that as well. Um, but certainly, two thousand eleven, the Ryan report, I think, is getting vindication for all. For for what you've been through, for everyone, it was huge. I think opening her centre, she was really, really proud of that, the Ashling Centre. Sure. Um, and I think when you go in there, you can really get a sense of of her in there and 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 how lives have been transformed, which is pretty special. I think some of the people have gone on to achieve great things. So, and some of the people have, you know, people who might have been educated can can know the alphabet or know, um know maths and know things that we might take for granted that they yeah. wouldn't have had the opportunity to do so uh, that was she's really proud of that as well there was a photo of you and your mum was that the March of Solidarity and the front of the Times yeah like yeah, that was, that was really like I remember that Brian O'Malley the, my dad and I said we're going to town mum's part of some mum's organising some walk and we thought it was going to be 50 people and we went out to, I can't remember the hotel, I was on O'Connor Street, and we said, okay, I think it's coming around the corner, we better go. And there's this huge, like, seven or 8,000 people walking in O'Connor Street. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves mm. into there. And, um, and uh, we, yeah, we joined in, and in fairness, it was, it was pretty special because we stopped off at Molesworth Street then, and there was a big talk, and I didn't realise the power 
of the um I don't know, the power of the community there, you know, the power of how many people have been touched by what had happened. Um and so there's people that came out. How many people obviously had? How many how many victims were there, and and how, how many lives were destroyed as well? To be honest, you know, because at the end of the march, we I ended up talking to lots of people because people. My sister was there, and she's an amazing supporter of my mum. She probably knows more. She knows more about my mum than anyone, probably than my mum even, because she's <laughs> she's delved into her public files and she's really? got access to information. And some of the stuff she goes like, oh, "I can't share with you, Connor. It's too sad." Um, so she knows, like, like she's a fountain of information. She, she retains everything, and because I look a bit like my mum, people are coming up to me and telling me their stories. So we had this line of people talking to my mum and this line of people talking to me mm-hmm. and their stories were so heartbreaking like about like sexually physically mentally abused and I, you just and the, I, I never understood I never I, I still probably don't have the full grasp but, but how many people's lives have been destroyed and their siblings and their spouses so one of the things my mum set up was nationwide counselling so that anyone who'd been in these uh, institutions would get free counselling and also that their their children would, you know, and their partners would, because most of them had, had had broken relationships. A lot of them had fractured relationships with people close to them, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think even to, I think even to keep a family together is an achievement, you know, in this day, in any day and age. But especially when you've gone through that trauma. The fact that herself and Donald were so tight knit and had three children who remain very close knit is phenomenal in itself. Yeah. Considering what her upbringing yeah, was until... She, yeah, she did a lot of counselling. You know, she yeah. went... I'm sure they had their tough times as well. Um, but she did, She really believed in counselling. Like, she really believed in counselling and education. Um, and, like, there was times when I came home and she'd be crying on the kitchen table, you know? And... She, you know, she'd tell you things that um, she mightn't have said to anyone. So... So we'd have quite a special relationship that I'd come home from Wesley or whatever and I'd stay up all night chatting to her. What I never thought about was she took sorry. She talked to me like an adult. Even when I was like twelve or thirteen. Really yeah. So it actually kinda of makes you quite streetwise in a way, because I'd have, I got my first job at thirteen. And I was working in a summer camp. It was nine to four or five. And this guy had, had shortchanged me. I was 50 euro a week, you know, by the time you get your bus fare in there, there wasn't much after that. <laughs> and this guy, he was a good guy now. And, and uh, He was tight back then. Yeah, yeah. You might have known. Oh, he talked to you about four about it, didn't I? You'd tell me off air. <laughs> I'll tell you off air. You know, we had a conversation years ago because when you were setting up the summer camps with mm. Brian. You have some memory, do you know that? yeah. yeah. I don't think we met for coffee, but we spoke okay. on the phone a couple of times. And I was saying, because I'd, I'd worked in summer camps for 10 years, so I was like, I can tell you lots of ins and outs and pitfalls and everything. And um, so I was telling you about this this guy anyway. But uh, And I was, remember being 13, and I'd originally done the camp, and a week later he goes, look, do you want to work here? And I said, okay. So he left me 25 euros short, okay? And I was like, he's a teacher as well. And I was like, oh God, so I don't really want to confront him about it. So I was walking back to get the bus. It was a sunny day. It was like half four or five on a Friday. I was like, I'll just leave it, you know. And I was like, no, I can't. I had my mum's voice in my head going, you can't let people away with that. So I went back to this guy. I said, he was teaching in the school. And I said, look, you, there's 25 year old missing from this. And he went nuts. He went crazy. And anyone knows this guy. And he was a good character. He's passed away now. But we'll know what he was like. And he was effing and blinding going, there's no way this could have happened. There's no way. I double checked her, the triple checked her. And I said, 
look, look, mister, blah, blah, mm. you, you, you know, you, you did, you, you know, it's not there. And he goes, check the bushes. I said, I only opened them when we left the gates. Check it's, the bushes. I know, yeah, I know. Jesus. I know. And I said to him, we were outside, I said, I was outside Strabrook. I was like, look, I've literally got, I've left the gates, I opened it up. And uh, and he was like, going mad, going mad. So eventually, reluctantly, like half an hour later, he gave me the money back. So the next week, I told my mum about it, and she said, fair play to you, you handle it really well, well done. And the next week, he left me five euro short. And I was close to the bus stop, which was about a 20-minute walk away. And I was like, I was wrecked. And I was like, oh, actually, I'm not going back. I said, I have to go back. My mum's voice was in my head. I was like, you can't let them away with it. And even now, I'd probably just leave it, you know? Now I'd probably leave it. Really? But back then, I was like, I, you know, and I went back. And he went, he went berserk. He's like, no way. Had us looking into the bushes again. I go, I didn't open it in the bushes. Open it left the gates. I found it subsequently. This is what he did with everyone. This was actually tactic, you know. And... um and, you know, we, years later, I had a bit of a laugh with him about it. Like, he was a bit of a character, this fella. But um, but my mum's voice was in my head, too. You can't let people away with that, you know? And and it was a big, big deal to me, five euro. And I said, if I let them away with it now, I'll let them away with it later on in life. And uh, it's funny, because in the nightclub game, people like that do things like that. Like, they really try not to, you know, let you pay or make <laughs> pay you and that kind of stuff. Sure. And you kind of, you take those, if you if you let people away at the start, you know, you carry that through. To you. So I always, I always thank my mum for that. And I also think about my mum's voice in my head there. And I still feel like it's there. So even when I cycled in today, so I have a picture of her on my bike. Because I always like... On liked, your bike? Yeah. Have like you? It's laminated around and it works, any conditions, rain, snow, anything, it's still there. And um, I always, because I always hear, hear a voice in my head and it works in other ways as well. Like where like, Sometimes I might be angry about something and I think my mum would always say, I had a poor fecker, I didn't have anything. Or you might just have a bit of empathy towards someone because sure. of, of um, you'd, you know, you'd hear my mum's voice saying, ah, like, them, you know, for whatever reason, I, I, I think of what my mum might do in that situation. So it, she stays with you in that way as well. She's so special and I suppose she's inbred in your mind that she's just always, always with you and guiding you and... yeah. Supporting you, um, she 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 passed away. She passed away from breast cancer in twenty fourteen. Um, how do you think she was as she was coming to the end of her days in terms of um, comfort, knowing that the injustices mm. were highlighted? Obviously, there's an awful lot for of further work to be done. But was she at peace or did she feel okay I, I've kind of broken the back off it yeah really good question you know I don't you know I should ask my should ask my dad that to give you a full, an honest answer my feeling was that she 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 definitely achieved what she set out to achieve but I don't I think something like the chewing babies being exposed I think she still would have been in the thick of it there you know with Catherine Corliss fair play to her again another really brave woman I think I feel like she would have I still think she'd feel like the work isn't done but at the same time I think she'd be I think she can rest in peace in what she achieved definitely um, I think she'd want to keep you know her, her centre alive and I think that she'd want to keep helping people um, I would have loved to have known what her, her life would have been if she hadn't you know devoted so much time like would she have developed cancer you know if she had cancer yeah. if she had me uh, for the first time she'd survival first was it yeah yeah and, and then, then she breast. yeah exactly and then she went she went to remission um i would have loved yeah i'd love to know yeah i'd love yeah. to know what her life would have been like you know she always wanted to be a, she was a nurse she would she, you know she always wanted to be a doctor i wonder but then maybe that gave her the fight as well you know 
This is probably a hard question because there's probably so many adjectives to describe her. But like, you know, if you were to, to say them on two hands, well, <laughs> how, how would you describe your mum? Well, fun, I think she was great fun. Yeah, yeah I think that was important. I think she's um, she's very caring and kind. Um, she was I, she's quite powerful in a way of like, and, and I think she had a, so... A kind, caring, powerful, honest, brutally honest. You know, like you get in trouble with like her honesty as well, because she <laughs> she wouldn't have suffered fools either saying things where she didn't agree with them, um, and very endearing. And I, I just a love for people. You know, she really did. She she's yeah. particularly loved young people. Like my friends around, she'd like she loved being around them. She hearing you know, their stories. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Uh, let's let's kind of move on and, and finish with your own family, Connor. You're married oh, yeah. to Lauren. Yeah, well, Lauren's amazing. She's just the most. I like. I know. I can. She's just the most special person. Like Lauren's in in every sense of the way. I'm very fortunate to because of yeah. You know, there's not a better when I was in Crystal. You know, it was a great place. I could have fallen down the trap of being with someone that maybe you know didn't have Lauren's great values. You know, every week. <laughs> <laughs> I could have, I could have, yeah. And I think you've got a, you know, a lot of, (laughs) a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people in that position probably would have, you know. Would have, yeah. Uh, Where did you meet Lauren? I met her in Crystal. Did you? Okay. And what I loved about her was she was so quiet and shy and she didn't get caught up in that whole scene. Sure, yeah. And that was the most coolest thing about her and she was sitting in the corner and I said to one of her friends oh my god that girl is so beautiful who you have to introduce me and then I did my best to fuck it up for a year to be fair that's like, like Donald and Christine uh, how are you yeah. no thanks <laughs> why did you oh I was just because I was you know what we were doing late nights and we we're I was so into work work obsessed and like we she was work obsessed as well she worked for a company called Verve and mm-hmm. she was working insane hours and events and so we were both workaholics we see each other once a week and then she was moving out of her apartment I said do you want to move in with me and and As you do yeah my mates were like really you're gonna move this girl in you're only going out and I was like we'd actually been going out for months but it didn't feel like that because we never saw each other and it's only then that we like I said you know it's gonna make us or break us so let's see and it was amazing best thing ever I married her and you have two gorgeous kids now yeah so we've been trying for years so we'd we had a topic pregnancy, which was incredibly tough, and anyone who's been through that, like it still feels like a fresh wound, even though we're so fortunate sure. to have two kids, um, with some miscarriages as well. And then we, and then Jonah came along, and it, it came along bang on the middle of lockdown. So I didn't no work, and I had this amazing family to be around. Oh, amazing! And that was really special, and to see to see that, and and Jonah's kind of got that, like he's got this lady bit of a, like an even though he's quite pale he's got like the curly hair and he's got like the African kind of nose and I, I do you see some of your mom in him? yeah yeah I love that I have to say I do and he's yeah and then and then Chrissy we named her after my mum gorgeous um, that's what I used to call my mum and did she's you know got you were having hair. a girl when yeah and, yeah. and d- d- had you planned to I, I made a promise to her in early so I had to go through with it like I had to you know and there's obviously other great names out there that we really were close to doing but I just had to um, and and we just, I guess, it, 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 all these worlds collided. And Lauren's like my business partner and my human collective clothing. Yeah, yeah, and so she's been in a, like an amazing, like stability for me as well, you know. Um, and she really is like I have to every. There's not a day that doesn't go by. I don't feel really grateful to to found her because she is such an amazing mum. She's such an amazing business partner. She's such an amazing wife. And she's every day she's 
generally in great form as well. You know, we've really? great fun together. Um, she's so caring and, and like there's a real kindness in her and her family, to be honest with you. You know, they're just in general. We're lucky to have you too. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. listen, fair play to you. Like you're you're married to Lauren and your business partner with Lauren. Tell us about the business because it opened it was it is it almost a year old? Yeah, um yeah, well technically we're actually just six months from okay. going live, but we've been working on it a year. So yeah. it's human collective. Tell yeah. us about it. What is it? Yeah, so it's a clothing business first and foremost, but we've guess we've transformed as well into doing diversity inclusion talks for companies. We've got a really good team um, well, I think when it first came about so we wanted to do I started working on a documentary about about racism, racism and discrimination and all of a sudden we found ourselves I found myself doing lots of research and I couldn't understand why um, obviously part of that research was um, I found this brilliant lady called Jane Elliott she's like she's like 88 years of age she had this famous brown eyed blue white study in America when Martin Luther, Luther King passed away all about discrimination and she had this great she had this great saying on there's only one race, the human race, which is, it sounds like everyone should know it, but not many people do because I hear lots of people talking about lots of different races. And like we, I was probably saying that a couple of years ago, there's only one race, the human race. And if that is a basic concept, you'd love to think if people had that in their minds that they yep. wouldn't think about black people or Asian people being different, you know, because they, they're, people talk about them being different races, but they're not. We've got different heritages, but we're all the same. So... I didn't like her the way her jumper had it splashed all over it. So I wanted to do something very subtle that mm. everyone would feel comfortable wearing and that it would be a an, an, an universal symbol. So that's where the equality sign came up. So everything has an equal sign. Uh, Who thought of that? I think it's genius. Thanks for me. And every, do you know what? We get a lot of compliments for that. That's the one thing. It's an equal sign for those listening yeah. to have a look at. It's humancollective.com, is it? Yeah, we are oh, human collective. Yeah. We are humancollective.com. Um, Did you come up with it? Yeah, but I think it came really like from talking to black people and talking to people from the LGBT community that it all kind of immersed from all these conversations. So when George Floyd passed away on the 25th of May 2020, I spoke to my brother about it and he was really upset. And I was like, and Dara wouldn't wouldn't get it. And he said, you know, his company, and I won't say his company, I'm sorry, but they put on complimentary free counselling sure. you know, I might take that and I was like wow so like it's hard for I don't know if it's hard for you but like we've never met George Floyd but black people were seriously upset by it like sure. like I so I started reaching out to different black people one guy great guy Colone Heffernan he's um, like an advisor to us and he was stuck in Dubai during lockdown, new country, new job, didn't have anyone to talk to. So we started doing WhatsApp calls a lot because you can't actually call on WhatsApp, but you can do voice notes. He was really educated in it. And we started talking about lots of different things like that. And then I started talking to people like um, Donald O'Flynn, you know, yeah. Donald, Donald's like a business advisor to us. And it, I started talking to him about the business as well. And through all these great conversations, Human Collective came about and our whole idea is that we would do subtle messaging so when there's a great behavioural science scientist called Robert Caldini and he talks about how people like to be consistent with their beliefs so when you make a small commitment to something whatever it is you're more likely to stay with those beliefs. So I'll give a really quick example, Sue. Um, so say someone came up, to, someone called into your house and, and, and said to you and Mal, would you mind putting, erecting a sign saying drive safely in your driveway? You'd probably wouldn't like an unsightly sign in your driveway. <laughs> so you'd say no. And 95% of people said no to that in, in this neighbourhood. They went to the next neighbourhood, which was a similar group of people. And they said, would you mind putting a postcard in your window saying drive safely? And you know what? I think like 80% of people agreed to put the postcard in. So a couple of weeks later, they went back to that same group of people and they said, 
would you mind now deciding people who agreed to put the postcard in, would you mind now erecting a sign in your driveway? And something like 60% of people agreed to do it. So here, all of a sudden, 60% of people agreed to do it when no one in the previous neighbourhood wanted mm. to do it. And, and they did a couple of other, other um, uh, research projects on and experiments. And it basically showed that people like to be consistent. So we feel that if you make a c- small commitment, and it doesn't have to be buying our jumper. Obviously, it'd be amazing if you did, but it doesn't <laughs> have to be, be that. But in general, say, for example, you watched a, a programme or listened to this talk, or we did a diversity inclusion talk during the week, you're more likely to stick with those beliefs after. So when you make a commitment to something, and I really mean whatever it is, whether it might be standing up for someone, or maybe it might be going to the the Pride March on June 25th, you're more likely to, when a situation presents itself, that you're more likely to stay consistent with those original beliefs. Um, so using that type of psychology and using the fact that we believe that why? Oh, the other question I had too is why when these jumpers were, were created that they were always like cheap jumpers mm. they were always like charity jumpers and you'd use them one day a year and you'd never use them again which is one a waste but two it nearly demeans the message you know so I don't, I'm not going to talk about other charity jumpers because I don't want to knock anyone else's brand but I felt like first of all they weren't high quality and secondly they weren't sustainable so we wanted to make all our clothing either 100% organic cotton or 85% organic cotton and 15% recycled polyester because what we wanted to do is make really high quality clothing that still had a good message so because I said most of the like even you see t-shirts that say no black no Irish no dogs or, or more blacks more Irish start more, do- more dogs they're always cheap and they're yeah, always like a bit tacky. They are. And they kind of, you wear them five times and then they're yeah. all like kind of hard. Exactly. You want the jumper in the wardrobe that you're always going to take exactly. when it's back from the wash. Exactly. So we wanted a jumper that was 365 days a year because the message has to be 365 days a year. So we've one company that have contacted us that want to do pride t-shirts and they want, they want a lot of them. And I said, look, we want to work with you absolutely but they wanted their company logo on it and they wanted it slapped on the chest and we said no we're not going to put it on the chest because the equal sign owns the chest even our logo's on the back we've relegated our human collective logo on the back we're going to put it on the shoulder if you're happy with that and they were happy with that which is great and um, um, but I go we want to make the the t-shirts going to be really high quality because it has to be worn every day of the year and it can't be just worn because it's Mm. June celebrates pride you know Um, I saw you've done some Ukrainian um, beanies mm. Like yeah, did you see them? Yeah, yeah well, I, I I've met a Ukrainian lady who who, who was wearing one, yeah. and she says every time she walks down the the street, oh, amazing. people kind of go, oh yeah. Oh yeah, you know? I have to say I thought those hats look look brilliant. And you know what? I should actually I bring I actually brought you in a hat, would you believe? Uh, um but uh I didn't bring any Ukrainian hat and I have to say I love the Ukrainian yeah. hats. The colour first of all the colours are great, but I also I've met a lot of Ukrainian people and we've given some some to them and uh, and they love it as well, which is nice because I, you know, so we're doing that for we're doing that for Ukraine, Ireland. We actually we're 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 looking to organise a walk. It's called a walk for humanity at the end of June, and uh, we're for Ukraine to raise money for Ukraine. But we've got a couple of uh, difficulties around that mm. at the moment. But the idea would be that we would do that, and that um, yeah, all well, profits are going to go from from the hats to this uh, to Ukraine, Ireland. You're unbelievable, well, honestly. <laughs> you know what? This is the other thing, Sue. You don't the two things that I didn't really factor in. One is when you get up in the morning and you've had like just lots of challenges in the business, it kind of gives you a bit of a kick when you know that you're. it's more than just trying to drive revenue, that you're doing it for... A purpose. Yeah, a real purpose. Like it definitely helps. It, then it attracts people who, who are... We've got some great people on the team, like Michael Darren McCauley and Paddy Smith and... Um, and they're pretty the well-known guys, a great guy called James Murray. And we've got, we got really good guys in the team that, that have got good souls as well, so it attracts good people. 
and, and Donal O'Flynn, obviously, Owen sure. Heffernan, Momobo, Agora. We've got really kind people. And then it also helps because people have been really kind to us then. So people have given us like a free office for a couple of months. People have given us free furniture. Um, so it actually, it's, it's like the, I never understood the power of reciprocity in a way. Even people who you looked after in Crystal years ago. That's like, that's amazing. That is amazing, genuine. I never factored in how how that kindness comes back as well. So, but it's it, it's this unbelievably good karma. I mean, look at the end of the day, it is commercial enterprise, and I I applaud you so much. By the way, you gifted me a gorgeous jumper a while ago, and it is my go to jumper. <laughs> oh, and I'm great. not just saying that. And I would have worn it in today, except I have a stain on it. <laughs> it's cream. And I went, fair. I can't wear it. Can't yeah. be like, do you want to maybe throw that in the wash? Um, I love it. Well, and Brian wears his, and they're gorgeous. And actually, I'm going to go on and buy that um, that lovely kind of green, dark green one. Um, oh, I think it's yeah. gorgeous. Thanks for me. And yeah. that's actually been with two bestsellers. Best and that's one of the bestsellers. It's kind of that. universal, like, yeah. you know. Um, but also, I think it's just amazing what it represents. And no doubt, Christine is very much in the forefront of all of those things. I think she's so lucky to have you as her son. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to kind of blow smoke up, you know, where where, where one blows smoke. But I think it's brilliant. And thank you for, A, doing all you do. Uh, I presume all the events are on We Are Human Collective. Is it yeah. for people to go on and yeah, have a look? Yeah, so we haven't published that one yet because we're still trying to get a couple of things um, organised on our end. But we, yeah, we want to do that walk and then we want to do a couple of other things for the community. Um, but yeah, the, the, hats and, the hats are on and we're going to do, we have a Ukraine t-shirt on. But I really want to do the walk because I've done, we've done a couple of things before and they're great. Like we, we did the Bat Cycle for my mum's charity um, and it's just a lovely thing to do, you know, and I think, I think a walk is something that just brings people together. It's nice. Mm. Um, you seem really kind of happy and content um, in life. Is is that right? Yeah, I think in general, I'd say my general outlook is in lots of ways, but then Lauren said to me yesterday, my wife said to me yesterday, you know, everyone would feel that about you, but, you know, they probably don't see the stresses behind sure. it as well, you know, so there is, there is definitely stressful times. Um, I I probably feel like I'm in a situation where if I'm not spending time with the family, I feel a bit guilty. If I'm not working on the business, I feel a bit guilty. I wish you continued success in that. In life, what are your, I suppose, hopes and wishes for the next number I of think, years yeah, ahead? Yeah, I, I'd love. I guess I'd love for Lara. Look, the kids think I'm a good dad. I think that's. I've been Tick. definitely. Yeah, Come on. I've been. Well, I'm, hands on. I, I've been really. For, I am hands on, but I've been really fortunate to have a great dad and obviously a great mum. Uh, Lauren think I'm a good husband, and <laughs> uh, I guess you want your family to be healthy. Sure. You know, like on yeah. the ba- like that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I kicked a football today for the first time in 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 months. I love that. I'll never get bored of feeling like a kid. Yeah. kicking a football around with a mate, and uh, I got it. Yeah, that that's genuinely like that's. Puts me on a serious high. And Human Collective PLC. <laughs> oh yeah, God yeah. Oh well, like, you know, wouldn't you like? If someone asked me that, and like, on a philosophical way, you'd love people to to genuinely stand up for someone if they felt like something was out of line. So in that way, I'd love that. And in another way, of course, like I, I have last Saturday I was in the park, and two of my pals turned up near wearing the jumper, which is nice. you can't take any, yeah, you can't take any too much from that. But then two random people wore it, and that gave me a massive buzz too. Great. I have to say that gave me a huge buzz to see two random people wearing it. We've got amazing press. We've got like we've got a really, really. We've been very fortunate with that. But that really made That's me happy. Yeah. So sometimes when people wear it and they're not even tagging, you're just happy to wear it. Like 
Brian was out with Amy last Saturday and uh, he was wearing it. I've even texted him to say thanks. I should. Yeah. I should. But he, looked, he just, he was, Amy was talking about being at this gig and he just looked great wearing it. And that, that makes you happy. Yeah. So I think, I don't know these two strangers who were wearing it last Saturday, but that was a really lovely to see. You know, I think that's Brilliant. pretty cool. Um, and I think when people genuinely love the quality is, is really important because no one's going to buy it again if they don't like the quality. And no Absolutely. one's, yeah. So I think that's very important. And sorry, Brown Thomas have contacted us as well about going into their stores so that's Daddy. a real high for us as well because that just means I guess we're getting real credibility you know um, yeah. that's 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 brilliant you know yeah so um, so hopefully maybe by the end of Christmas but th- those kind of things are little highs because you and you need to note them down because there's plenty of lows and there's sure. plenty of challenges yeah. and every day you get like there's difficulties there you know but I actually think you've, you've, you, you, there is, you need serious resilience you know and I was lucky in a way because and I was working with Paddy McKillen, uh, and he's a great lad. He, and a guy called Barry Plunkett as well with, with Press Up. Any issues, it was nothing was an issue. Like everything was just like, let's just climb that mountain, you know. And there's a great mindset to be around. Absolutely. You know? And I yeah. think I think like honestly, nothing was a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um and, and that and you those people give you energy, which of you, course, you don't yeah. you, you know, there's a great guy, Barry Plunkett, who was a partner with me for ten years as well. And like you get great. You need to be around people who give you great energy. You know. Brilliant. Well, look, I really enjoyed the chat. Me Thanks too. so Thank much. You. Um, best of luck with everything. And as you, as a person, you know, I just think you're you're terrific. And you. I wish you lots and lots of love, luck, and happiness. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for, for being on. Thank you. It's all relative with Susan Bradley, an original podcast series from News Talk. From you.